Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I am so excited for today's show. It's a little different than normal, but something that I think people will be really taking a lot from, not only this week when we release it, but for weeks and maybe even years to come. Um, we are talking to Monica Verdusco Gutierrez, who is one of the foremost leaders in America in COVID and long COVID. So the reason we're talking to Monica today is twofold. First of all, Monica is a dedicated amateur runner. She's qualified for the Boston Marathon. She is just a high-level amateur runner, which is really exciting. I love talking to those kind of people. And in normal circumstances, we would be having her on the show just to talk about her running. However, this these aren't normal circumstances. So we really don't spend a lot of time on Monica's athletic prowess. Today, we're talking about her professional background. So First of all, Monica is a professor and chair of the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at the Long School of Medicine at the UT Health in San Antonio. Uh, that has been primarily what she has dealt with in the past with like brain injury and stroke and things like that. However, in recent years, she has specialized more on the COVID side and in particular now on long COVID. And not only that, not only is that the foremost, not the foremost, but a main part of her professional life. In addition to that, she also is one of the nation's leaders in this. As you'll hear momentarily, she actually was testifying in front of Congress just the other day on this exact topic. So today we're going to talk about returning to running after you have COVID. All right, this is something that's affecting a lot of people right now, me included. And there's a lot of, I guess, differentiation, it seems like, with so many people about not only when to return, but how to do it, in part because COVID is affecting people differently because we all have different kinds of immune systems. There have been different strains of COVID. So what are some best practices we can all take into consideration for this? Also, if it seems as though long COVID is starting to affect us, what are some of the steps we take then, not only within our health, but also within our athletics and making sure that we're giving ourselves grace, but at the same time, understanding that we're trying to pursue stuff that we love. And Monica understands that completely because she loves running as well, which is so nice when we have a doctor or a physician that can share our love for uh, a certain hobby, a certain passion, while also providing us with the information we need. And that is exactly what Monica is able to do for us in this episode. So as you'll hear many times throughout here, she is not giving specific doctor advice to you in particular. These are more guidelines, things to take into consideration, but at the same time, don't suffer in silence. Make sure you're talking to your doctor as well. So let's get into it with Monica Verdusco Gutierrez. Okay, Monica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, happy, very honored to be here. Well, as I, as I, already said in the introduction, so everyone's already heard that. This is going to be um, a new kind of episode here on the Rambling Runner podcast. You are saying you are a runner. So it's not that I think that's an important piece here. You're not merely a doctor. I mean, that would be a fantastic addition to the podcast as well, especially considering what we're talking about. But as we're talking about running specifically, we all know that it's important to have someone who not only knows the medical side, but also knows what it feels like to be a runner and coming back and knows the jargon, knows the terms. And that can be a hugely valuable experience. With that said, 
you're traveling right now. You've been traveling. What were you doing just last week? I mean, you live, you're living a pretty, pretty crazy life right now. Right. Getting those airline miles, um, which is both good and bad. But last week I was in D.C. I was invited to, to give a congressional testimony on the select subcommittee for the coronavirus crisis. And I was talking about long COVID and how long COVID is you know, impacting so many Americans. Some are becoming disabled. It's really, you know, COVID isn't over and people are dealing with the effects of it. And when did it become clear for you that this was going to be a major part of your working life and research and things like that? Probably at the beginning, towards the beginning of the pandemic, it, you know, I was seeing more and more of these patients, actually, because a lot of them were presenting like some of my concussion patients, because I do brain injury medicine, I do physical medicine and rehab. And so I sometimes see ones with the concussions and brain injuries, and they have things like brain fog, dizziness, fatigue, headaches, shortness of breath, just can't get back to their activities, brain fog. And then a lot of the long COVID patients were having very similar symptoms as well. And so it was like, okay, this is, and then I have a big, you know, heart for health equity and access to care. So I said, we need to do this in this, I'm in San Antonio. We, you know, we know there's a big Latino, Latinx population there. So we have to make sure that they're getting the rehab care and services. Here I am. And here you are. Yeah. And so that's obviously how it started to percolate into your work. And now it seems like it's something that you're working on primarily, at least you're at the forefront of a lot of this stuff. So when did that paradigm shift happen in terms of not merely being an element of your work to now being, as you just mentioned, you're just in front of Congress. Obviously, this is a, a primary element now of what you're up to. Yeah, my d- dean said, this could be a career-defining thing that you do now. And so, I mean, I still have my day job. I still have to run a department. I still have patients. There was no lack of brain injury or stroke patients I need to be seen. So it's just been more to add to my plate and probably have happened just, you know, slowly over these last two years. But it's something that needs attention and something that's impacting so many people. Right. All right. So let's just start defining our terms. How do you define long COVID? All right. So how I define long COVID, and this is a compilation of different definitions that you read from, you know, the CDC, the NIH, the the World Health Organization, everyone kind of has their own definition. So lingering symptoms after COVID, in some patients, they may have gotten completely better. And then some symptoms show up afterwards. Um, And then the time, and some, it's just a continuation of symptoms. Even after you've started, stopped testing positive, you continue to have symptoms. And it can be, you know, one of the definitions says it's four weeks or more. And then there's some more definitions that look at chronicity. So has it been three months or more of symptoms? And then it's not attributed to something else. It's kind of the other part. And when you say not attributed to something else, what is that referring to? So I said, like, there's still normal things that happen. So for an example, if someone comes and they say, well, I lost so much weight and there's blood in my stool and I'm anemic and then, you know, you need to screen that person for colon cancer and make sure they don't have that and not just say it's long COVID because there's still regular things that happen to people, regular medical issues. Gotcha. Okay. That that makes sense. And as the virus has evolved, and we we seemingly hear about different strains all the time, um, how has either long did the definition of long COVID evolved, or how 
how it has um how it presents itself or just just the the landscape for long covid how has it shifted over the past year and a half to 2 years so definitely at the beginning covid was causing much more severe disease just you know the original og covid wild type that they call it and probably maybe in the alpha variant those patients were getting very sick those are the ones hospitalized dying. And we know that some of those patients were having long-term symptoms because they'd been hospitalized for months and months with such severe disease. But we also know at the beginning that there was patients who were getting sick, were not hospitalized, weren't, didn't have access to tests then, and um, are probably the ones that I see have the most symptoms now. I just think kind of probably the original variant of covid was just more infectious and gave people a higher viral load. And now that, you know, maybe it's a little bit less infectious, we're va- more of us are vaccinated, um, we're not getting as sick, we have oral antivirals and, you know, monoclonal antibodies and other treatments. So um, people are having more mild disease, but still it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if it was mild disease, people with mild disease can get long COVID. So at the beginning, I was seeing very sick patients who'd been hospitalized. And now I'm seeing people who have long COVID who were never hospitalized. Most of my patients were mild to moderate COVID. And how does that, how have you seen, again, you're not a psychologist, but how have you seen that affect people mentally and emotionally who had seemingly mild COVID to now have it be as now a part of their life for so long, something that was like, hey, I don't understand how like it's not, again, I wasn't in the hospital on a ventilator. And now I'm having these symptoms that last a long time that just seemingly, it seems like that would be a lot easier to comprehend for an individual as opposed to someone who had mild case. And all of a sudden it's just with them for an, for an extended period of time or maybe even longer. Right. So definitely it's impacting everyone from a mental health perspective. And one thing I always say is, I hate when they probably don't, well, you're depressed, well, you're anxious, and that's what your symptoms for. And it's like, no, there's actually something going on at a cellular, pathophysiologic, body system, immune system, inflammation, that we're still not great at characterizing or getting on a blood test yet. And even that can drive inflammation in the brain, which can infect your neurotransmitters in your brain, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, your happy hormones like serotonin aren't being made in the same numbers and you're going to be depressed and anxious related to that and because of the underlying disease state. So what are some of the reasons that the virus would stick around and create a long COVID type situation? I know COVID is not the only virus or disease that can that can present itself like this. Obviously, it's, it's kind of of the moment and what we're here to talk about, but feel free to bring in other viruses or other, um, other like I'm, I'm going to mess up all the terms here, but other like similar things that maybe uh, present themselves long-term in, in the same kind of fashion. I guess, wh- why does that happen? Why does why don't they just kind of fall away after a week, two weeks, three weeks, and they go way, bit, way past that for some people? Right. So you're, first, that you're absolutely right that Long COVID is maybe it's new because COVID is new, but we've always had, you know, post-viral illnesses and post-infectious disease illnesses. They just weren't happening in such huge numbers. So I said, even in my own clinic, I take care of some post-polio patients and that's the effects of polio. I mean, you know, it's eradicated and, but 
patients will have decades later effect after getting over their polio and, you know, have new disability later on, decades later in their life. And we now know things like Epstein-Barr virus, which is the virus that causes mono, is now the number one cause, or they found out is one of the main leading causes of multiple sclerosis of MS. And we know that HPV causes cervical cancer and hepatitis C can cause liver cancer. And so we know before there was tons of viruses that could cause conditions. And there's even long flu. You know, some people got this from the flu. Some people get post-streptococcal types infections. So yes, they've been there. It just hasn't been in such big numbers. So they're saying now that they did a CDC came out recently, household pulse survey. Um, They said one in five Americans had long COVID you can get long COVID after COVID, which is a lot. And if you think that 40 plus percent of Americans have had COVID, that might still be one in seven Americans that are living with long COVID as we speak. Some like some ongoing symptoms. And so that's a, a shocking percentage of people for something that really hasn't engaged the national conversation to a degree that you would assume that was affecting that per- that large percentage of the populace. It's unfortunately become a political, and I know this is not a political podcast, but it's, and I think some people um, downplay it, or some people don't realize, or some people don't want to talk about it, um, and so we're still, yeah, it needs to be part of the national conversation for sure. Right. I mean, you bring up good points, right? Obviously, there is a political element here, which can can um, in certain certain circles maybe tamp down. The conversation on this, maybe other circles, maybe it elevates the conversation because it becomes more top of mind in certain circles. And then you also brought up the good point that like some people might not want to say it, right? Because who wants – there's probably a good amount of people who don't want to sound like they're complaining when other people are maybe having it a lot worse, right? So you right. might be like, well, here are all my symptoms and this is still bothering me. And you kind of get that feeling of like, well, at least like I'm not in the hospital and going on a ventilator. So you want to present that positive – those positive vibes, even if you're not 100% feeling great, because you might have this very obvious contrast of like, well, kind of who are you to complain? Like, at least you didn't, you know, you you weren't seriously affected the way maybe this other person was. Right. Or it might be, oh, I'm fatigued, but oh, you know, aren't we all tired? Just things, you know, make us so tired now. And even though you may have, you know, more bit of fatigue than you did before, or, or you don't want to admit that you have brain fog or concentration, you know, issues. Absolutely. All right. So I'm glad we like kind of identified some of the terms here. Um, going more to just the original five to 12 day COVID window that, you know, that, that people experience that is kind of the normal, not the normal, but like the, 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 the COVID window as opposed to like the long COVID window. I guess, first of all, why is it so, why are seemingly so many people having such individualized experiences with this virus as opposed to like say comparing it to the flu where like if someone has the flu like they're pretty easy to pick out right like the flu symptoms are the flu symptoms where the covid symptoms seem to be pretty individualized i can even say this within my own home my wife and i had covid at the exact same time and we had some similarities but not a lot and it's 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 kind of just funny to see it Funny, not and it's funny is not the right term. It is interesting to see it firsthand, and I've and I think we've all seen this globally as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think 
I know y'all probably had the same variant in your house, but I know like the initial variant was more lower respiratory. Now it's more upper respiratory. And it's just, you know, how does it invade a person? What is the viral load that that patient has? And then what what's the immune response that your body has to it? And so that could be a big difference is, you know, does someone have a kind of a hyperimmune response? Did someone just react kind of normally to it? And that can also add up to, you know, who puts you, who gets long COVID, who doesn't get long COVID. Absolutely. And- does, I guess, a person's response early to the virus in terms of like the, like the choices they make, right? So here's a good example of it. We were on vacation when my wife got COVID. We didn't know she had COVID at the time. She was developing some 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 symptoms, um, some tiredness and so, or whatever. But she was still like kind of pushing herself in terms of like we were like on vacation with the kids and she's trying to make the most of the vacation and stuff like that. So she's wearing the mask. She she has the KN95 mask. We're outside and we're moving around, but she's like trying to make the most of it for the kids. And you're sitting there like, this is like a really hard situation because I wish she would like kind of like chill. But, you know, like this is kind of like a once in a lifetime trip and she wants to make the most of it for the kids. So there's the guilt associated with it. Anyway, not going to get into the whole thing, but she pushed herself really hard. In the first couple of days and you sit there as a spouse or in, in anybody you wonder like, all right, is this going to affect her, um, you know, how she reacts to it? Or is it more just kind of like your body's going to react how your body's going to react? And I say this in light of we have a lot of runners who are listening to this who may choose to or have pushed themselves from a running capacity while they had COVID. And, you know, I think that there are some people who may have fallen into the same situation, maybe from a running perspective, not a kind of family and lifestyle perspective. Yeah. And I thank you for bringing this up because to me, radical rest is best. I know that this is coming from someone who's a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor. That means usually, I usually say like exercise is medicine, go and do more. But in this case, like radical rest is best. You really, it is going to impact how someone does long-term if you're trying to push it too much early. And we do, there is research on that. There is research in the the MECFS, so myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, ones who try to push after post-viral illnesses were more likely to develop, um, you know, the ME and CFS. And so it is, the other thing is about pushing yourself is you don't know how the virus is impacting you exactly at that time. So are you getting viral myocarditis, which means the virus is getting into your heart and is going to maybe possibly even cause an arrhythmia or sudden cardiac death or something. So that's why resting and, you know, keeping it chill is really important in those first days, especially when you have symptoms. All right. What if, and I'm saying this, I'm not, I'm not being devil's advocate here. I'm trying to envision some questions that some people may be having as they're listening to this. So say someone tests positive and they are close to asymptomatic, right? So if they tested positive, it means they they felt like they needed to take a test. So they probably had some sort of symptoms, but say they take a test and they're close to asymptomatic. Does it change for that person or is the recommendation still the same? So I will give you the official recommendations from American College of Sports Medicine, okay? And this there's been different like AMSSM, ACSM, you know, JAMA Cardiology, British Sports Medicine Journal, and they basically say this. We're going to divide it into three groups of people, low risk, intermediate risk, high risk. Low risk are those people that you said asymptomatic or pretty much symptoms that they got over in, you know, five, seven days. Intermediates, you had more symptoms after seven days. 
And the high ones are the ones that were um, like older of age and had hospitalization or, you know, actual cardiac things. And still their guidelines say seven days um, before you get back to exercise. Now, does that really happen in real life with all my crazed running friends and running groups? No, it does not. You know, I mean, did it happen even in my own household? I'm telling all my husband now when he got COVID and I'm not, you know, I'm not the only one who has now told <laughs> on his spouse. All right. You, you can join the club. Right. Yes. yes. The, the <laughs> telling on your spouse club who I was like when he had gotten COVID and I didn't COVID didn't get COVID with the kids. We left the house and he, and, um, and he was like, yeah, I went running. Like I just had mild symptoms. And I was like shaking my head, you know, it's like the plumber with the bad plumbing in the house. Right. And so, um, but I will also tell you that they did this protocol in the studies that they did on NCAA athletes. So you think these are the athletes that are the healthiest people in the world, in the globe, right? They're 20 year old elite college athletes and they got very close testing during this time. They got, um, you know, COVID testing, they had protocols, they monitored them. They had maybe like one to 4% of them develop post-COVID or exertional symptoms after exercise. So a really small number compared to what you hear in kind of the average adult. But I would say these are like the most elite athletes in the world and they made them follow. It's almost the same as a concussion protocol, like, you know, be out for seven days and then it's a graduated return to exercise. But I think for them, they're actually looking at more research where they may shorten that time because they did do so well and so few of them get exertional symptoms. But again, those are the most elite athletes in the world. That's not like me, 40-year-old runner lady, you know, (laughs) or like the most, the weekend warriors who are probably listening to this. Like, um, so, and just again, we said low risk, intermediate risk, high risk, low risk, you can probably, like you said, when your symptoms are gone and I still would give it a few days, then really you can go back. You don't have to get usually cardiac clearance or anything, even though sometimes schools made them, you know, for athletes in schools, but, and get back to it again, graduated return to exercise. If you're in that intermediate, some of the intermediate need to get checked out, um, before, like, see your doctor, make sure, you know, EKG, troponin, whatever they want to check, depending on your symptoms, especially if you start having exertion, like you do something and you feel worse, so your chest hurts, your heart racing, that's like, you need a work, you need a stop and you need to see your doctor. And then the high risk patients, like, were you hospitalized um, for it or did you have more severe disease? And those are like, you definitely need, uh, you know, to be ruled out for all the cardiac stuff before you get back to exercise. All right, let's talk about symptoms. All right, so I'm going to use me as an example. All right, since I'm not going to do a hypothetical. And also, I'll give you complete permission to ask me questions um, to like to get, kind of get further information. I'm not doing this as a free doctor's visit, but just as a way, hopefully, to shed light on different things for different people. Okay, so I had COVID. I'm on day 11. So I'm outside the 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 ten day window. Um, I had I definitely had symptoms for me. It was a, basically a nasty head cold with like a ton of like mucus. So like mucinex worked well for me. I was taking Flonase as well and occasionally Advil, but I never developed um, I never developed a fever. Um, and I had a little bit of chest tightness, but not a lot. Again, it was mostly kind of like neck up for me. Um, so uh, 
I'm I'm feeling great now. I started running uh, three days ago, three years ago, three yeah, three days ago, and at that point, like it really wasn't affecting me during the day that much, right? I really, from a symptoms perspective, it was just kind of the mucus, it was just kind of annoying. But I didn't have any of the body aches, and my head really wasn't that congested. I was just kind of I was taking Flonase, but I usually take Flonase. We kind of live out in a in a suburban slash rural area. It's like a lot of allergies out here. So that's kind of like standard operating procedure for me anyway. And then, so even like today, a good example. So I'm not, I'm not on any medication right now. Not even, I didn't even take Flonase this morning. Um, so, but I, I'm on the run and I kind of titled this on Strava this way. And we were talking about this before we went on uh, and started recording is that like, I was kind of rebranding my post COVID jogging as lowland high altitude training. Because I'm not wheezing or anything, but I am noticed that like, hey, it's running my easy paces. It definitely feels harder. So I'm kind of like dialing back the pace so that my easy effort is like, you know, so I'm not viewing it as easy pace. I'm viewing it as easy effort. And the pace associated with that is slower than it normally would be. But just in terms of me walking around during, my, you know, the other, you know, 23 hours of the day, like I don't feel like I have symptoms. But I am noticing it a little bit on the run. So let's kind of talk about that because I know that and I forwarded you a lot of the questions that people gave us on, on Instagram and a lot of them kind of tied back to this exact thing that I'm talking about right now. So let's kind of talk this out about whether or not uh, I'm doing the right thing or, or what guidelines should be out there and, and so on and so forth. Right. So I think you're doing the right thing. You know, you waited until the right amount of days. You knew that you weren't having symptoms and you said, I'm going to try out exercising. And then the other thing, it's like returning really slowly. You know, some people I, I tell them like, okay, go, you know, try a walk first, try a walk jog. And I know how runners are. I mean, I'm a runner. So you, you want to get back. You want to get back right away. You want to get back to your running group. You want to get back to training. Oh my gosh. God bless the people who are doing Chicago or New York marathon because they're in the midst of mileage and i have a marathon on the schedule i have an october marathon on the schedule yeah Yeah. i'm feeling that like i'm missing my long run you know and you're worried about what you have to do and getting behind and so you want to just get right back on your schedule like okay but you you can't you have to take it like all right maybe i can get on half of my schedule, but not do the hard, not do the speed work, just do, you know, the easy and really see how you feel. And you said, you know, I could feel I was pushing it and my pace. It wasn't what it was used used to be. And then one thing you have to monitor is for post-exertional symptom exacerbation or post-exertional malaise. So what that is a fancy way of saying is like, how is the, how is, how is your brain and your body going to feel the rest of today or later today? Are you going to feel like you're going to want to take a nap in the middle of the day or you're going to, you know, go to bed really early or you can't like maybe then later you have a sore throat and you start getting a headache or um, so those are the things you need to look at later today and maybe even tomorrow before saying, okay, I'm ready to go back and try to do more. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. How does heat play a part of this. So you're a Texas resident. You you're 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 well versed in what it means to run in the heat and for your patients to exercise in the heat as well. I mean the whole country is hot right now. It's the middle of summer anyway. Even if we didn't have a heat wave, it still would be hot. And that was been part of it for me. I've certainly known, certainly noticed that as I've 
it's just kind of like by chance. But basically, over the last three days, each day I've kind of gone out like a little bit later each day. That's just life circumstances have uh, dictated that. But I have noticed that I am heat affected more than I was before COVID. Um, maybe this, maybe I'm just being hypo, hypo, you know. I might be a hypochondriac in this case, no. or also like, I don't know, like I, I didn't run while we were on vacation. So it had been two weeks since I ran. So maybe that's a part of it. I don't know. But it does seem as though I am not quite as heat adapted or the heat is affecting me a little bit more than I would have expected. Yeah. So heat is a stress on the system as well. So heat is like for people that have long COVID, for people who have POTS or dysautonomia, Heat is known to be a stressor. So I'm seeing worse symptoms, especially right now when the temperatures are, you know, breaking records, like you said, especially in Texas, but everywhere. <laughs> it's just been, you know, a heat wave. And so it is going to be part of the stress that's on your body and make things more difficult. All right. So we're talking about kind of endurance efforts here. I've been going on three or four mile runs, which for me is, you know, roughly 30 to 40 minutes. Have you seen the same sort of, um, not issues, but the same sort of considerations if, say, someone was going to do strength work, but not like in a hit capacity, so not high-intensity interval training, but more just like, all right, I want to you know get back to you know building strength, but I'm not turning it into an aerobic workout. So I'm, you know, say I'm doing a set of lunges, there's an appropriate rest in between, I'm not like keeping an elevated heart rate the whole time. How have you noticed that being or not being an issue for someone like me? So again, it's going to be energy that your body uses. And so you have to think about, you know, you have, if you have a tank full of gas that things, you know, anything that you do is going to take energy from that tank. So cognitive, physical, your work, your family life, your, you know, what you're doing outside the home, that's all going to be in your tank. And so you have to realize like how full is it and what are you going to use? You have to kind of prioritize what you use your energy on. So it can be impacted just as well. All right, so let's get to some of the questions. And you've been, first of all, thank you for your time. I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate the time and consideration you're giving to me and the listeners of this podcast because it does. I do. I know it does mean a lot to these people because we're getting questions. Even people even know that we're currently recording. They're still they're still sending us questions. Um, all right, let's talk about um, moving from easy runs to either long runs, so those could still be an easy effort, but certainly more taxing. So we're talking runs over, say, 90 minutes, closer to two hours, people who are trying to build up for a marathon. And also we can talk start talking about incorporating speed work. So maybe you want to take these on separately, but I know for our, us running friends, once we've kind of established, okay, I feel like I can get to my normal schedule of running five to six days a week, and I'm kind of getting back to my normal length of time spending running, those are kind of the next two building blocks up that people want to address. So let's start talking about when and how to incorporate those. So first thing before I talk about that is that everyone's body is going to be different. So I had like one friend who like PR'd 10 days later in a 10K and then I have some that it took them, you know, they're in the middle of Ironman training and can't work out for more than 45 minutes. So um, you know, there's definitely going to be people along the spectrum, but in getting back, so, you know, it's either going to be load is in how many minutes you're doing or load in, 
you know, as far as speed work or more, you know, pills or some kind of more intensity of work. And so you have to kind of think about, I'm, I'm maybe starting to build the load of the distance and only working on building one of those types of things at a time, just like you would if you were coming back from an injury, you know, okay. And then also doing it slowly. For some people that have, for ones that for sure have long COVID, I will sometimes tell them, other than like the resting and letting their body really get better, is that when they get back to activity, that 10, the rule of 10 means that they can only increase 10% every 10 days. And that seems horrendous for a runner. You know, does that mean like I ran a 10 miler and then next week I can do an 11, 11 miler, you know, and that's not how training usually works, but some people need that. And so, um, I don't know if I can like exactly prescribe a program because everyone's different, but the other thing is you listen to what your body's saying. If it's just, it's hot and it's not your day, don't push through it. Stop, you know, fuel up, let your body rest and try again on another day. That's probably one of the most important things that I could say. I love the comparison to coming back from injury of kind of treating it the same way and kind of self-evaluating as, as you go and, and things like that. And also being able to make sure that you're relying on the professionals around you. Just like coming back from injury, you're going to be talking to your PT and, and things like that. Just like you want to talk to your general practitioner. In this case, getting a lot of questions about heart rate, elevated heart rate. Um, obviously, we have with the with the evolution of the watches. Now, it seems like with the high-end watches currently on the market – unlike three or four years ago where they were notoriously fickle with giving accurate heart rate on the run, it seems like they're much better at doing it now. So can you talk about why maybe the elevated heart rate is there for some of these folks? In addition, should how much should we be taking this into account if we actually have a way of, of accurately measuring heart rate, either on the run or uh, resting heart rate? Yeah, great. Yeah. So our watches, we're just so addicted to them. Like, you know, I have an expensive watch, but I still use my Garmin all the time <laughs> um, because, you know, it's the data and you love it and you can check so many things. And now I don't even have the fanciest ones, but, you know, there's ones where you can check heart rate variability and, you know, we can learn a lot from people's heart rate variabilities, but you can also learn a lot from just what your heart rate is, what you know, you know, there's some athletes that follow it so closely that the reason they knew they were sick or had COVID because their resting heart rate went up um, from what they know that their baseline resting heart rate was. And that might've been the first sign and that they went to go get tested. I even now, it's now incorporated in, I've heard whoop ads mm-hmm. on other podcasts. We're like, that's part of the ad read. Yeah. But you can tell whoop is telling the the person who hosts that podcast, like, hey, make sure you say this in the ad read because this is what we're seeing. Yeah. And then the other thing is that you can look at your heart rate and say, okay, this is, you know, I'll, I know regularly when I exercise, my heart might go to, you know, if I'm doing a run, maybe it goes to 150 or 160. Um, and then you start running and it goes there and it goes over and it, that happens within two minutes. That might also be another sign that, whoa, you need to back off or, okay, now you've pushed it too much. Um, and I think it's important to use heart rate data. And, and some of why that happens is, well, there's different reasons. Um, some patients may have developed something cardiac. Some patients, I mean, when they looked at even those, like I said, the healthy NCAA athletes, some of them had... Um, inappropriate sinus tachycardia, some develop POTS, some still had an effusion, you know, some have cardiac MRI abnormalities. I mean, this was, a, you know, 
a handful of people, but there could be something that was there. So it's again, going back and getting, making sure that you're checked out, but it's your body's autonomic nervous system, which means this is your body's natural things that happen without you thinking about it. And so part of the reaction to sometimes stress and being sick and having had COVID might be someone's heart rate goes up. And so it will also sometimes tell you if you're resting, if you maybe your resting heart rate went back kind of down to normal, but then you try to run and then the rest of the day you can't get your heart rate back to normal, that maybe you you overdid it too. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to take this data and to say, oh, look, I can't even get back to my normal resting heart rate or I stayed up. Or sometimes when you're doing any even non-physical activity, even if, like I said, you have so much energy for everything. So I will sometimes have people use their resting heart rates when they're at work because you may have like become more, your respiratory rate or your heart rate may go up even with too much cognitive work. That happened to me. <laughs> that absolutely happened to me. I mean, we, I was day three, I think, day three. And then like the... <laughs> Um, we had a major issue on the podcast. So we had like my hosting platform who were remain nameless. I used to promote a certain podcasting platform. I'm not on that platform anymore. I wish I was because of what currently happened. So if people have been listening to this show for five years, they know which one I'm alluding to. It's not that one. It's a different one that will remain nameless. For some reason, they deleted like 350 episodes of mine off, off my archive. And it was a, um, a wild 24 hour experience. I'm emailing. I'm, I'm like, it was a uh, very stressful time, even in the best of circumstances. It wasn't the best of circumstances. It was like, was my hardest hit COVID day. So I'm sitting there in my bed, like emailing all day. This was like, obviously a very stressful experience for me mm-hmm. anyway. But then you throw the COVID stuff out of it. I was like, I can feel my heart rate going up. So I, I grabbed my Coros watch. I put it on um, just to like get an act, it was an accurate, like, resting heart rate reading and at one point it, it was in the in the mid 90s i'm just sitting there in my bed mm-hmm. typing yeah. right or just like reading right. an email and i'm like all right i gotta close this laptop like this is i'm now like this is unhealthy uh, by any measure and i definitely had that experience i no longer have that experience which is why i feel comfortable you know recording a podcast and going out for a short run um uh, but i was able to experience that firsthand and it was it was like a jaw dropping experience for me to, to, to basically be in like almost like type two or zone two heart rate zone, just sitting there responding to an email. Right. Exactly. So good for you for listening. We have the data, listen to our data. Right. And I think the hard part for some people is that they're going to say, all right, well, my heart rate's been elevated for a while now. Mm-hmm. So it's been, again, let me just say, what does elevated mean in this situation, right? Cause this can mean lots of things. Obviously like if my heart rate, which is normally 56 is at 96, like that, is a clear elevated heart rate, right? There's no, there's no distinction there in terms of like, you know, like defining terms, but for other people, they may say, well, it's like, it's six to seven beats a little bit, you know, higher than normal or things like that. So where, where do we potentially not draw a line, but what are some of the ranges that we would want to look at? I mean, again, not being, I'm not a cardiologist, but I will just give you my kind of uh, perspective on this is, you know, for us who know our baseline, even having it, you know, 10 beats up and knowing that that when you're at risk is a difference in what you know, what your baseline is. Um, heart rate variability probably tells us more than just resting heart rate. So if you have a watch that can measure that, that's a bigger deal. And then we know that there's actually measures of what is 
abnormal tachycardia, which is usually 100 or more beats per minute. And for people who develop dysautonomia or POTS, which can happen a lot, especially it happens in women a lot more with than men, but this is when the heart rate goes up and it actually, it is orthostatic tachycardia. So that means when you're laying, it may not be that bad, but when you stand up or do activities, that's when the heart rate goes up. And that can be checked with even a a 10 minute stand test. So you can, you know, does the heart rate go up by 30 beats per minute um, when you've stood up for over 10 minutes? Um, And that's something, again, go see your physician about because there's, you know, treatments and such to deal with that. All right. That's very helpful. All right. Let's see here. You hinted at this earlier. I know you saw this question. I think this is probably why you, you hinted at it earlier. Let's see here. Um, I teach PE in high school, and last year our school required cardiac tests before kids were allowed to return to play. Should adults be doing a cardiac test prior to returning to running? If so, what are they looking for? What should be a red flag? Um, I, again, just chest pain, shortness of breath at rest or when retur- or you know having while doing activity is like red flag go get seen and like i had said before i think you know in schools there were protocols and you had to get the kid checked out before they came back in you know i know us a busy adult life it's not always easy to even get into my primary care doctor <laughs> you know sometimes it takes a while to get there and imagine and then you like, probably have i would think if anyone could do it you could do it right you must have some juice <laughs> when you're calling up the hotline to get in right exactly and still it can take a while right um <laughs> yeah and um like we just said see what where you fall on that you know are you a low risk but then do you have symptoms when you're exercising? Then maybe go get checked out. Or are you in the moderate risk and you should always get checked out if you're one of the like high risk individuals and that um, gets checked out? I'd probably say if you're 50 or over, it might be like safer to be on the checked out range, actually. I think the guidelines actually say that. Absolutely. And I think um, I've tried to incorporate a lot of questions into our kind of our our conversation here just as a way of like a lot of them were very similar. So we tried to incorporate a lot of them. Um, as we've talked, I do want to throw out one more and then we can kind of finish this up however you want to, right? You're the expert and I don't know what I don't know. So we, we can kind of end on however, whatever note you want to end on. Uh, but one more specific question. Thanks to everybody for submitting these. Uh, I'm currently training in high heat and humidity post COVID. My doctor had mentioned that if I started getting short of breath, after returning to training, that she would prescribe an inhaler. On my speed workouts, if I try to push a hard effort for longer than two to three miles, I have to stop and catch my breath. Frankly, I'm going to interrupt. If you're running hard for two or three miles, I need to catch my breath too. That's a pretty hard workout. <laughs> Should I consider going back to my doctor for an inhaler? I typically struggle in the humidity, but post-COVID has been so much worse. So I would say definitely go back to your doctor. Is the inhaler the answer? I don't know, but they can work you up more. You know, some people are getting more reactive airway disease, which would be, you know, a reason to have an inhaler so that your doctor can decide to do like spirometry spirometry or pulmonary function testing. I mean, even my own sister-in-law had to get that and was found to have, you know, had kind of developed some of that reactive airway disease asthma and had to get inhaler too. She was having a hard time running after her kids, you know, so... Um, feeling more winded when she could do that before. And yes, for her, the answer was an inhaler. The answer is not going to be inhaler for everyone, you know, and it's very individualized. Um, But I would say go back and get checked out. 
it seems like a common theme here is don't struggle in silence. That to, to, to keep going back to your doctor and, and, and figuring out ways. And I will, I'm not going to put the person's name to this, but I had a conversation with someone online a few days ago who listens to the podcast who uh, got COVID in January and was kind of in that long COVID situation with chest tightness. And then ultimately their doctor was like, all right, and then prescribed uh, pregnizone. For them, I think it was a 20-day cycle, which I think for me, I've never had more than a 10-day cycle when I've had prednisone for like sinus infections and things like that. Um, and it was a hard – they said it was a really hard first week. But then ultimately, it did the trick and they finally were able to clear what was in there and the, the coughing was felt like it was actually doing something as opposed to that shallow cough that you feel like you're never quite excavating out what's in there. Um, and ultimately, it ended up working for them. Again, this is just a one-person scenario, but a great example of – you know, keep communication in with your doctor um, to, to try to make sure that you're doing all the things that you can do and that they can do. Uh, with that said, love to end again, however you want to end this in terms of recommendations or things that people should look out for. And again, not that it has to be all doom and gloom, right? There's some, there, right. there can be some positivity here as well. Uh, but how, what, what note do you want to end on? So I want to, I do have like a little bit more rambling to do. Let me just, Let's do it. Let's do it. A couple more things I want to say is that there are some people that will feel like they just can't get back to the level of running that they got to, were getting to. And this is, you know, I present about this all the time. And I said, they do special, you know, they patients, they may have had normal pulmonary functions, normal echocardiogram, normal EKG, you know, everything's come back normal. And they just still feel like they can't get back to that level that they were. And you will read stories about this is long COVID's affected athletes. I mean, Kate Grace, there's she's been very open about it on her Instagram. She there's been a Runner's World article about it. She needed radical rest. She needed seven weeks off of doing nothing just to start getting back. So, you know, it's not a bad thing. And some people need that. And studies have shown when they do invasive cardiopulmonary exercise testing that that's where you can see the differences that um but then it has to sometimes be a specialized one where they also look at what's happening peripherally, like your heart and your centrally and your heart might be pumping right, but is that more issue like a peripheral oxygen uptake? Like, are your muscles not getting oxygenation the way they should be? And that's probably because of mitochondrial dysfunction or vascular dysfunction or microclots or, you know, there's so many little things we're looking about COVID, but don't struggle alone. And for sometimes patients... People really need that convalescence. There was even a study about Messi, the soccer player, like best soccer player, right? And him having tr struggles with long COVID as well. So, you know, it doesn't matter your level of fitness. These are some of the fittest people in the world can still really have impact. So, you know your body the best. You know your training. You know, um, I, you know, find a doctor that's going to believe in you and want to work with you. And also, if you're working with a physio, with a physical therapist, ones that also know more about long COVID because it's also, it's different than the traditional rehab of like, let's just exercise you more and more when sometimes it's like, you need rest and we need to listen to your body's signs before you actually do more. Monica, Doc, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your expertise. Uh, it really is a huge benefit to me personally. And I know everyone who's listening. So thank you so much again for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Monica, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to have Monica back on in a future episode. Hopefully, we talk much less about COVID 
and we talk much more about her own running because there is, uh, we talked offline a little bit about this. You guys didn't get a chance to hear that conversation, but she has a fascinating running backstory as well. Uh, that would be a really fun conversation that did not have, we don't have enough time to fit that in today, but hopefully we will do that in the future. Monica, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you. The dedicated loyal listeners of Rambling Runner Podcast, I appreciate it so very much. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.